Good morning. It's glad to be with you this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we're grateful for celebrating the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. That Advent season that is so wonderful and blessed to us. And now, Lord, as we begin to turn our faces towards the new year ahead, we can't help but be expectant in what you may have for us. We know there's still issues going around in our nation and events, but our faith and trust is in you, and we're grateful that you have been with us so far and have blessed us and encouraged us and strengthened us. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for walking with us into this new year ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so grateful to Pastor Craig and the Elder Board for inviting me to speak to you this morning. And I pray that you had a safe and wonderful Advent holiday season with at least some of your family present and that it was a joy to you all. We, and now are, let me ask you, and now are we ready to absolutely put the year 2020 behind us? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I heard a television evangelist call 2020 an utter dumpster fire, which <laughs> sounds about right to me. And did you notice during the year that with all the division and discontentment and destruction taking place throughout our nation for most of the year, fueled then by the COVID pandemic there towards the end, that we couldn't help but look up and end the year on the manger babe who came and brought salvation to us all. We came from distances near and far to draw closer to him in the spirit of love and devotion in our lives. Uh, and it's our focus on him that was important, not what we saw in the nightly news. For he brings us joy and it's his peace that blesses us with all kind of stability and energy forward in the midst of any kind of difficulty that may come our way. And so we stand at right here on the edge of the new year where God's granting us another opportunity to draw even closer to the Savior by studying his word, by serving him and at the leading of his Holy Spirit, by guiding us forward in all that he would want us to do. So if that's the task ahead of us, we'd better get at it. This morning, I'm going to continue on from where Pastor Craig left off the Sunday before Thanksgiving in this series on the book of Acts. You may or may not remember that it was back in April when we started that series, and there have been 20 messages that Pastor Craig and others have been sharing with us, and it's been a terrific 
series that we've enjoyed and has brought us to the point where we are now in chapter 13, verse 4, which we're going to begin to look at in just a moment. And if I could summarize what we heard during those 20 messages, it would be somewhere uh, reminiscent of Acts 1, verse 8, which says this, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was departing back to the Father. He was turning over the planting supervision and expansion of his church to his followers and his disciples. And as you know, the purpose of the church is to give witness to who he is by sending his Holy Spirit to work through his followers to that end. And thus far, his followers that have been leading this effort have been Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, Barnabas, and Paul, and there will be others that we're going to see during the weeks ahead. But it's the Holy Spirit who's the main character of the book of Acts, and he shows up in almost every chapter as follows. In chapter 1, we see where he is prophesied to come. In chapter 2, we see where the Holy Spirit fell onto the believers in the church. In chapter 4, after a threat from Jewish leaders, the believers pray and were empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak boldly the word of God. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and were judged. In Acts 6, the church chose seven men filled with the Holy Spirit to be servants in the church. In Acts 7, Stephen, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to the leaders before they stoned him. In Acts chapter 8, Peter prayed for Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit that took Philip down out into the desert to meet the Ethiopian. In Acts chapter 9, in Damascus, Ananias prayed for Saul to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive his eyesight back after he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. In chapter 10, the Spirit spoke to Paul to go to Cornelius' house, where the Holy Spirit then came upon the whole family of Cornelius. Acts chapter 11 is where the prophet Agabus prophesied that there was going to be a famine throughout the whole Roman world. So this is just a glimpse of the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see more of what he does and learn about him today. But there's another topic that should be included in any summary we would make prior to us getting into chapter 13, and it's this. You'll remember the last time we were in the book of Acts, we learned all about who the leadership was of the church up in Antioch, one of the first churches that was founded after the stoning of Stephen and the scattering of believers throughout that general area. You'll remember that the city of Antioch is located in modern-day Turkey. I'm going to show you that on a map in just a moment. It's on the coast uh, by the Orontes River. It's called by some the Mother Church of Gentile Christianity, which speaks to the fact that leadership there was transcultural in nature, where a significant number of the people were comprised primarily of Gentile believers. 
You'll remember in chapter 11, it, te- it told us where at Antioch is where the believers were first called Christians, which speaks loudly to the Roman, about they were, how they were seen by the Roman population, the pagan world there as followers of Jesus. And they were witnesses not only in the city of Antioch, and the surrounding areas, but also the church would soon expand out into Asia Minor and into Europe and places beyond. And so at just the right time as determined by the Holy Spirit, a time when five of the leaders, specifically prophets and teachers, were there in prayer and in worship of our Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, no doubt speaking through one present, said these words, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Barnabas and Saul. So why these two guys? I mean, Peter, John, the other apostles, the elders in the church, James, the half-brother of Jesus, they're all up in Jerusalem. Is God really going to share Jesus Christ, his son and savior of the world, to Asia Minor, Europe, and places far beyond that with a Levite and a former Pharisee, both Jews who, when they enter various towns and villages across this area, could have been persecuted at any point in time? I mean, these guys weren't even original disciples of the master. They have little experience in church planting or church administration. How's this going to happen? How is this actually going to take place? It's going to take place because of what we hear in chapter 11, verse 21, which reads that the hand of the Lord was with them there at Antioch, guiding them forward. And this validated what Barnabas had found sometimes earlier when he was sent to Antioch from the church in Jerusalem to, hey, go down there and find out what's going on down there. And the report that he brought back was that the grace of the Lord was indeed at work in the church of Antioch. So Barnabas then saw the opportunity to go and get the Apostle Paul, and he brought them there, and for a year they taught the people in the church at Antioch, which then established a bonding between Paul and Barnabas, which grew and grew to the point where at the right time, the Spirit called for someone to go on account of the church to spread the word of the church and it was Barnabas and Saul who were singled out. And today's lesson is about that initial part of that first journey outward and we're gonna read from our primary text today which is from chapter 13 of Acts, verse four. We're gonna start with verse four and is our custom uh, if you would then wherever you're located uh, at home in your living room or in your bedroom or your den, if you'd stand in reverence to our Lord, we're going to read our text for this morning. Acts 13, 4 through 13. 
So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of our Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail for, from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. The word of the Lord. Amen and amen. Now I'm kind of like Pastor Craig here in that I can't tell you geographically about something unless I have a map. I just, just, ju I just, just got to have a map here. So here we are. This is the uh, eastern um, end of the Mediterranean Sea. You can see down here it's Jerusalem, Jericho, Samaria, Lebanon, Syria, and then this is Turkey. So right into Turkey, there's this place called Antioch. This is where the church there, the first called Christians there. It's on the Orante, Orantes River. Whoops, I touched it. And uh, they went from there, where the church is located, down to the port city of Seleucia, which would be on the coast there, about 16 miles, and they caught a ship. They somehow heard that there was a ship that was on its way to Cyprus, and it's loading up, so come on, boys. And so they, they hurried down there and got on the ship, and they went out here to the island of Cyprus. Now, this distance right here from the mainland to that little tip there is 100 miles. So they came down here to the town of Salamis, which would be about 160 miles, 170 miles from the mainland. And um, this is where they first landed, and this is where they began to teach in the synagogues. For, Sal for Salamis, it's, there's nothing there today except a couple of restaurants along the, the city, but there are ruins that indicate that it was a fairly large city uh, in earlier times, and we know that because it was the capital of the island at one time. Uh, it also has a lot of temples to Roman gods and goddesses, and it also, uh, there in the scriptures, it says that uh, Paul and Barnabas spoke in synagogues, plural. So there's more than one synagogue in the town, and they taught to the people there. From there, and we don't know how long they stayed, but from there, they came across the coast road 
until they got down here to a, uh, a where Larnica is today, and they came up into the hills and then down to a town called Paphos, which is at the far western end of the island, the island of Cyprus. It was there in Paphos they went to meet the proconsul of the island. He's an, an intelligent guy, the scripture says. His name was Sergius Paulus, and he wanted to hear the word of God. Well, how did he know that they were preaching the word of God? Well, you know, like little villages are and little towns, word travels fast. So word of what they had been teaching in Salamis traveled up to Paphos, and he wanted to hear the word and so he invited Paul and Barnabas to meet with him. Now, he was, excuse me, he was a member of a noble family, which meant that he had generations of public service uh, in his lineage there on the, uh, in Cyprus. And in terms of the island being governed by a Proconsul, as opposed to a procurator or king, King Herod, so to speak. Uh, back in years prior to this, 22 BC, it was decided that uh, little principalities like this would come under the rule of the Senate in Rome, and the Senate then would establish a procur, a proconsul. Excuse me, a proconsul. And uh, so he is the guy in charge. He is the honcho on this little island. Now, Sergius Paulus had an attendant, as it says in the NIV version, by the name of Bar-Jesus. Bar is a name prefix in Aramaic that means son of, and Jesus is an Aramaic name that means Joshua. So he was son of Joshua. But Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, also wanted us to know that his name was, has a Semitic meaning, and that is that it means sorcerer or magician. If you tuned in last week, when Pastor Craig was sharing with us about the three wise men, he mentioned three uh, indicated in scriptures, and one was this guy, Elymas, uh, being like a sorcerer, or, or, uh, uh, or a, um, a wise man in the sense of astrology and not uh, astronomy. He was also a false prophet, Luke tells us. So summoned by the proconsul, Paul and Barnabas make their way and to see the proconsul when they were opposed by Elymas because the proconsul wanted to hear the word of the Lord, but Elymas was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this, this placed Elymas the magician right on track to derail the mission of Paul and Barnabas right after it got started. So we've got this kind of showdown at sorts that stands at the heart of our message this morning where the Apostle Paul says to Elymas the magician in verse 10, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Wow. 
so tell us how you really feel. <laughs> and just after he met Elymas too, Paul's saying these words to him. How did Paul know to use those words against the false prophet? How did he know that Elymas was full of deceit, uh, an enemy of righteousness, and who was making crooked the straight paths of our Lord? How did he know that? And not only that, but the Apostle Paul continues in verse 11. He says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And the scripture says, that, And immediately a mist like thing fell, and it's darkness that came on Elymas, and he went around grabbing people's hands to try and lead him forward. How did Paul know that the hand of the Lord was against Elymas, as the NIV says it, so as to pronounce him with temporary blindness? And how certain was Paul that Elymas would actually go blind when he spoke those words to him? I mean, this is their first trip out. How are Paul and Barnabas understanding what's going on here? To answer, let's go back to verse 9. Because when Paul first meets Elymas, there's something unusual going on here. Verse 9 reads this. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, and then he said all the things we just said. But then Paul brings these, but, but to get, excuse me, but to get to the bottom of what's going on here, I'd like to just remind us of a couple of things that are going on. And that is first, in this larger passage, there are three instances where we read that the Holy Spirit is guiding their efforts forward. Once in verse 2, where it says that Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the Holy Spirit. Second time is verse 4, where it says that uh, they were... Uh, there was the Holy Spirit that sent them out. And thirdly, it's here in verse 9 where uh, it says that their, Paul himself was filled through the Holy Spirit. The Lord, through the gospel writer Luke, wants us to know without a doubt that it is God, the Holy Spirit, who is at work in the lives of Paul and Barnabas, so they may give witness to Jesus as they venture out on this first missionary journey. In other words, it's imperative that these travelers and us ourselves, as we're reading this passage this morning, know that it's the Holy Spirit who is behind what they're doing. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying that if God calls you to a work, he will absolutely be with you through that work to guide you and help you to accomplish it. As it reads in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, super abundantly is the Greek reading there, 
than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working within us that is far more, far more than we can ever imagine in order to help us accomplish what the Lord calls us to accomplish. This is the power by which the Apostle Paul is able to accomplish what the Holy Spirit wants him to accomplish. And in front of Elymas was to say that Elymas was the son of the devil because he was opposing the work that they were doing, specifically keeping Sergius Paulus from hearing the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit led Paul to pronounce Elymas blind and unable to see for a time. Okay. Gemma, I think I'm, I think I'm tracking with you. I think so, but, but, but wait a minute. How specifically, give me some specifics here. How did Paul hear these particular instructions from the Holy Spirit so that Elymas would end up blind for a season. How does that kind of communication between us and others and the Holy Spirit take place? This is the second thing I want to touch on this morning. You see the word down there in verse 9. Go to verse 9. And it says, right after Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says... He looked intently at Elymas. Do you see that? The Greek word for looking intently there is atenizo, which comes from teino, which is to stretch or to strain. There's, there's activity going on in this word. It means completely fixed or fixated. It come across, it's coming across as to stare at to be fully occupied or to be taken with. It means to observe with great interest or having fastened or fixated one's gaze, to put one's eyes on an object continually and intensely. In other words, this word means so much more than just looking at or seeing something take place. Here's other words for that. It is the gazing or staring intently at something in order to gain understanding of what's really taking place. It's used a number of times in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples to help you, to help us all to understand this. You remember when Jesus ascending, ascended up to, to heaven, excuse me. He was with his disciples He's talking to his disciples, and all of a sudden, and the disciples, right? Specifically in the scriptures, it says, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, and that word gazing is atenizontes. It's plural, and it's continuous in its uh, action. Then you'll recall a lame beggar and in the beautiful gate, and Peter and John are going 
to the temple and they see this beggar and he's asking for alms and it, it, the scripture says, and while they were gazing into heaven, oops, sorry, it's, uh, it, Peter then directed his gaze at him as did John and they said, look at us. Peter and John directed their gaze at this man who was sitting there who couldn't get up and walk and it's as if they're waiting then for the Holy Spirit to speak to them to find out what they're going to do. What's next? What do we do next? Then there's Cornelius in Acts 10. And he's got this vision of an angel. And he sees this angel. And the scripture says that he stared at the angel in terror and says, whoa, 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 whoa. what is it, Lord? Now, there is no whoa, 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 but I'm just kind of giving it to you. Ateniso. One final one here is, you'll remember that just after Stephen preached this terrific sermon to the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, prior to them stoning him, he's, he was standing there preaching, and the sky opens up. And the glory of the Lord shines down. Now, you know the glory. We know a little bit about that because when Paul was on the road to Damascus, the glory of the Lord knocked him over. Remember that? So the glory of the Lord shines down and Jesus is next. Would that be your expression? Absolutely. There wasn't a fly left in that house after that day. gazed into heaven and saw the glory of the Lord and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this word atenizo comes across in scripture as directing one's gaze, staring at someone in terror, looking closely, and in one instance even it says, looking at him intently and seeing he had faith. You got faith? And the common denominator that we see when this word is used, not always, but, but many times, is that some miraculous event is taking place here. All as, as a result of stopping and gazing and intently gaining an insight so the word of God might be communicated here. With Peter and John, they told the layman to get up and walk, and he got up and walked. Again, Peter and Barnabas were, I mean, Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra, and there was a man who was lame, and they said, get up and walk, and he got up and walked. And with Stephen, he saw a, a vision of the glory of God, like we said. Uh, Cornelius saw a vision of an angel. Peter, you'll remember he's on the mountain, uh, rooftop, and, and here's this, this sheet that comes down. And uh, with all these animals, he's not supposed to eat. And, and this voice that says, kill and eat. You got a voice? You got visual up and down three times? And, he, and he's gazing there. So this word here is more than just looking or watching at something take place. It's really where one stretches and strains to understand what the Holy Spirit might want to do at that very moment, and uh, a miracle, a miraculous event can take place. You know, too many times, 
I think we go about the work of the Lord as, as we perceive it. We, we go about the work of the Lord. And we fly through what we're doing about as fast as we do everything else around here. Not stopping to listen and appreciate what the Lord might be calling us to. Something new or maybe something off the wall. Something unique that he wants from us. And I don't think Paul and Barnabas were doing anything different that Jesus would do in this situation or what they knew Jesus wanted than what Jesus did when he walked on this earth, which is the work of the Father. Listen to how Jesus describes the work that he did on this planet. He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves, John 14. This tells us that the words Jesus said and the works that he did originated from the Father. And since it is the Holy Spirit of God that lies within every person who has named the name of Jesus, who has asked Jesus to come in and live in, in their lives through them, then shouldn't the works that we do be the works of the Father as well? Right? That's what we should be doing. There's just one, one, little, one little problem. You'll recognize it. And that is that there sure is a lot of ourselves in ourselves. For me, there's an awful lot of Jim and Jim. And I wish there were less Jim, there was less Jim, and more the Holy Spirit in me. Because like it says at the end of verse 11, which we read, so that may, some may come to believe in the works themselves, or in the, my case, or as it was in Paul's, that some may come to believe simply because of who I am and what I do. You might see, I might give a reflection off of who God is. But Jim, how do we actually receive God's word of instruction to us indicating what he wants us to accomplish at that particular moment? Well, thus far, we've said that we need to slow down and gaze intently at the situation with listening ears so that we can hear God speak to our hearts. The second thing we need to do is be discerners of all that is spoken to us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We see here that discernment is necessary to ascertain what is pleasing to the Lord. 
And we know that, really, if we think about it, because there's a lot of things that get thrown at us. And we also know what it says in 2 Corinthians 11, that Satan himself masquerades as the angel of light. We can get it wrong. This then places substantial value upon our need for discernment. So let me ask you, how's your discernment these days? It's, enormous, it's an enormous part of who we are our follow, uh, as followers of Jesus Christ because as it says in Romans 12, 2, that we are called to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are t- we're called to test what we hear, what's going on, so we might discern the will of God for a particular situation. And if we don't, Proverbs 15.21 has a real tough word for us. And it says this. Folly, or in other translations, foolishness or stupidity, it says in one, is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. Let me say that again. Folly or foolishness or stupidity is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding upright walks uprightly. Or if you have the Forrest Gump version of the scriptures, it says stupid is as stupid does. Well, pastors aren't supposed to talk like that actually, so let's move on. And let me tell you, calling out a false prophet and proclaiming him blind, even if it's for a temporary time, you just don't see something like that very often, do you? And while I've never been asked to go down that road, I have tried at times to ascertain what the Lord's specific purpose has been for me at a particular moment I remember one of my first attempts at discernment was in the country of Malawi. And we were way out in the bush. And we were there to dedicate a schoolhouse. What was happening is the World Vision helped and the community helped. And we, they built this four-room schoolhouse with a place for the headmaster to sleep in his office. And uh, we were going to go out there and dedicate, and, and there was going to be a turning over of the keys, so to speak, uh, with the headmaster. And as we went out there, and I was a guest and looking at things, and um, uh, there a crowd of about 30 or 40 people, and I went over to one of the doors of the schoolroom, and there was a little guy about seven years old. He had a runny nose, his eyes were watering, and he just didn't feel well. 
So there was a lot of talking, a lot of chatting and everything. The events hadn't started yet. So I went over to him and, and I, I put my hand on his shoulders and I said hi. And he, of course, he doesn't know what I said and, he, and I didn't know. Uh, Shantu is the language and I didn't know any of that. So, uh, but I, I did ask the Lord with, with, with every, I was directing my gaze. I was staring intently. I was with, with all manner of, of desire, wanting to know from God what he wants me to do in that moment. I'm a million, million miles from nowhere out there in this little place. And Lord, what do you want me to do? And I just sensed he wanted me to pray. So I put my hands on the back of his head and started to pray and to place that little guy into the hands of the great physician. And then the event started and their speech is making and I was standing there still smiling but praying under my breath the whole time for this little guy. I prayed for him again that night when we got home. But my eyes weren't open for very long because I had such a busy day. Was the boy ever healed? Not that I saw. Because we had to move on. But I believe he was. I say that because to the best of my understanding, I was simply the guy who was there trying to listen to the Holy Spirit speak on behalf of what God wanted to do for that little guy, for that moment. So I gave my focus to that little guy. Now, I know that many of you do the same things when your sons or daughters or other family members or friends are in need of prayer. You're quick to jump in and pray. But what if for a moment you were quick to gaze intently at the situation and give your focus on what God wants you to do with listening ears, straining to hear what Jesus might want to do for that moment, to search with all discernment what his purpose is for that moment. As I prepared this message, I realized that I need to be this way now more than ever. Because it's no secret if you look around, you can still, still see that there's a lot of commotion and upheaval taking place in our culture. And if we're going to make a difference in terms of bringing Jesus to the Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria around us, we're going to, number one, need the Holy Spirit to direct us more closely which means we need to discern his voice more accurately and we need to, number two, stop and gaze intently upon the issue taking at place in that moment in case the Savior might have a specific task for you to do. 
He might. You see, I believe there's a direct correlation between the amount of atenizo we seek to employ in our lives and the, our lives being successful for the employment of the gospel in our everyday lives. And again, I'm speaking of myself here. I need to watch out, to gaze more intently into the eyes of that which is taking place around me and pray to the Lord for his discernment concerning his purpose for me. Friends, there's no doubt about it in my mind. This is what the Lord from his word wants us all to hear and take in this morning. Why? Because we're standing at the threshold of a new year where by God's grace and our desire to be all that he wants us to be, we can be the apostle Paul in front of the false teacher and the sorcerer Elymas. We can be that person. And we need to be that person every time there's an event that we're standing in front of, every time there's something taking place that we're right there because one of these days God's going to use us in a mighty way for his glory and for his purposes. It has nothing to do with what church we belong to or how long we've been a member but it has everything to do with our willingness to serve the Savior by stopping and gazing our eyes into the moment that lies just before us. And this can take place anywhere, anytime, and with anyone whose heart is open to the full and complete purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you. Got another question here. Will the year 2021 find you periodically stopping to cast your gaze intently at a particular situation? Searching with everything you have what the Holy Spirit might want to do through you to accomplish the Father's will? It's my prayer that we will all become discerners and that we will all draw near to our Lord so that he might use us in ways seeming, seemingly beyond ourselves to accomplish all he wants of us in accordance with the power that works within us, yea, even his Holy Spirit. And make no mistake about it. As Paul and Barnabas leave Paphos on the island of Cyprus for the mainland of Asia Minor to continue on their way, all that they learned on this little island of Cyprus and their encounter with Elymas will be available to them built, for them to build on by the Holy Spirit. For they will absolutely come across events and peoples who will need a savior just like Sergius Paulus did. And did you remember verse 12 in our reading this morning? It says this, Sergius Paulus believed. 
and he was marveled at the way the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that happens, how that takes place out in the, among people. There may be some of you out there who have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And you're listening to this message this morning, you're saying, what on earth is that guy saying? (laughs) To be in Christ is to be a new creation. He has changed us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. If you haven't invited Jesus to come into your life, we can do that this morning, and you'll be able to start the year off with Jesus and be able to walk with him throughout the entirety of the year ahead and the rest of your life. It's not hard. All of us who've named the name of Jesus have had to do it. It's not hard. We confess our sins before him because the scripture tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we invite him to come into our life to change us into the person he wants us to be so that we can use that atenizo that the Holy Spirit speaks to in our life to be a blessing, to be an encouragement to those around us. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And it doesn't have to be my words. I'm just, there, there, there is a guide. All you have to do is speak with your heart. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I know one thing that I need you in my life. I do not have you there. I'm not walking with you. I'm not seeking your face. I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. But I, this pastor says it's someone who you will send. I need you in my life. I confess my sins. I'm not living uh, a, a life that you would want me, Lord. I confess my sins before you, and I ask you to come into my heart. And I'm grateful that you would. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen.